Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Jordan. My wife, Mandy, and I have the privilege of serving as community group leaders here in Ventura. Shout out. Today's scripture passage is from Proverbs chapter 30. In addition, I will read related passages and they will be all on the screen for you to follow. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. The blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. All the day long, he, the lazy, craves for more, but the righteous give without sparing. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is God's word. Thank you, Jordan. As we enter into the final section of our series through Proverbs, if it's not obvious already, we come to a topic that's actually found all throughout the book. Indeed, it's a topic that touches every aspect of our lives, and that is the topic of money. Now, those of you who are new, maybe this is your first time at church or first few weeks, you're like, great, I came on the money Sunday. Let me just say two quick things. Number one, it's probably not what you think. And number two, hopefully it's better than what you think. But this is an area that ultimately is a matter of the heart and we need understanding for us all. So let's pray together. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us and teach us in this matter. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, you care about every aspect of our lives. And included that is the way that we view and use our money. God, I pray that you would teach us from your word. I pray that you would remove any false or wrong ideas that we have about money. Or even false ideas about what your word teaches about money that you would reveal why and how it is a matter of the heart and what it is that you do within our hearts that causes us to think rightly about all that we have, our time, our talent, and our treasure. And I pray that as you do, you would lead us ultimately to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, where we find the grace and transformation all of us need. And I pray this morning for those who do not yet know you, who have not yet put their faith and their trust in you, I pray that today they would hear and understand who you are, all that you've done for them, that they would make the decision to put their trust in you and be saved. Holy Spirit, would you be our teacher? 
we ask together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Well, it was Oscar Wilde who once said, when I was young, I thought that money was the most important thing in life. And now that I'm old, I know that it is. Which I find funny because we all know that money gets everywhere. Maybe even further than we're willing to admit. Money's in our politics and our partnerships. Money informs our education. It could set limits on healthcare. It plays a significant role in our development. We know that, and we've experienced that money can at times seem to bring happiness, maybe even elation. But at other times, money can bring despair and anxiety. On the one hand, admittedly, money can serve humanity well at times. It can build safe houses, provide clean water, and even bring education to regions in the world. But on the other hand, we also know that money can break apart marriages. It's one of the top, if not the top, reasons for divorce in North America. Money can provide weapons for warlords. It can bring entire populations to its knees. For most of us, how we view and use money is a mixture of both good and bad. And we come to the Bible, and the Bible makes very clear that money actually affects our souls. And if you want some proof, just recall the last time you received a bank statement surprised with an unforeseen overdraft. It is the worst. And let's be honest this morning, uh, most of us would be instantly happier if a giant suitcase of money just dropped onto our doorstep when we went home from church. You're like, yes, this is great. What a Sunday. What does that say about how we view and use money? I recall the story of John Wesley, who was one of the influential evangelists in the period known as the Great Awakening that took place in the United Kingdom and North America in the 1730s. He was once told by a friend that his brother had been converted to Christianity. But knowing the person, John responded immediately with cautious optimism saying, hmm, very interesting. Has his wallet been converted too? His concern was well-aimed because according to the Bible, greed is the sign of a hardened heart. But on the other hand, generosity is the sign of a transformed heart. And ultimately, remember this, your money flows freely to what you love the most. Your money, your possessions, even your talent and your treasure, it flows freely to what you love the most. Therefore, a healthy view and use of money is a part of your spiritual formation. If you're a follower of Jesus, it is a part of your Christian growth. Now, we usually don't think of it in this way, but money is a spiritual matter, just like learning to pray, learning to read scripture, and gathering together. It might come as a surprise to us. In fact, I heard a pastor once say, not of our church, but another, he said, you can tell that the sermon was about money by the fact that nobody came up to pray. <laughs> 
It's interesting, isn't it? Like if we talked about fear, if we did a sermon on that, you know, or, or suffering, like many of us would be lining up to receive prayer. But oftentimes you get to an issue like money, you're like, oh yeah, that's kind of in another compartment. It's not really a part of my spiritual life. Yes, it is. And if it is indeed a part of our spiritual life, and if generosity is the sign of transformation, then all of us should seek to become the most generous people possible. The book of Proverbs, written by the great King Solomon, mentions money in more than 70 verses in this book. And what I'd like to do this morning is state one principle, simply, and then unpack what generosity is and why we can become generous people. The statement is simply this. Our culture often sees giving as loss, but the gospel causes you to see giving as gain. We might say, well, how is that possible? Well, it flows out of a whole new way of life. So I'd like to state four truths that reveal how and why we can become radically generous people all without taking a second offering this morning. And these four truths build on each other. And the first is this, you were made to give. You and I, we were made to be givers. We learn from scripture that God himself is a giver. And so he created us to be giving creatures, giving freely out of what he has first given to us. Therefore, when we're generous and when we give of our time, of our talent, of our treasure, that act of giving reflects the God who made us. Proverbs, over and over again, refers to God as the source of all that we have. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22 says, the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. The blessing of God, the ultimate source for what I have comes from God. And so when we give, we reflect this larger story about God as giver when we move beyond ourselves and seek to bless and participate in the lives of others. Now, practically speaking, where do we give from? Well, Proverbs being a very practical book states that more often than not, we give from what we work hard to earn. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 11 assumes the hard work going in to earning. Whoever works his land, Solomon says, will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. In short, if you want money, get a job. You didn't need a Bible commentator to say that. But the point is simple. God gives us gifts. He gives us these talents. He gives us these abilities. We put that into use so that we might, to use that farming language, reap a harvest. And it is from that harvest that we share. And when we do, we reflect a giving God to a needy world. You and I were made for this. We were created for this. But when you give, it's not about you. It's the story about a generous God. And let's be honest, when it comes to the subject of giving and generosity, it's very easy to make it about us rather than about God. There are moments, I'm sure all of us 
have had, whether you've given in to these temptations or not, is something that you can deal with before God. But when you're generous, you just want to be noticed for your generosity. There are some who are like, oh, you know, I just was just wanting to give you this incredibly and remarkably generous gift, and I just wanted to tell everybody the amount. You post how you enjoyed going to Sunday service on your social media feed, like, oh, such a great day worshiping God. So glad that I had the opportunity to give $27,000 out of the generosity of my heart today. It was just such a blessing. Like, wow, thank you for making it so clear how generous you are. There's that little temptation in the heart when you give, you just want to be noticed. Someone's like, wow, that's so generous. And you're like, don't. Stop. You know, Jesus talked about these people. In his day, there was a group of religious leaders called the Pharisees, and Jesus called them out one day for the radical extravagance of pomp when they would give. It was as if the trumpets would blow when these leaders in the community of Israel would give towards the work of the temple in that day. You'd get like the whole, the trumpet section just sounding forth. They're like, they are announcing their gift and boom, it would go in and everyone's like, wow, so generous. When we give, it's not about putting our character on display. It's about putting the character of God on display. But on the other hand, sin, which is an attitude in the heart that replaces God with something else. Usually it is the self. That's what sin is. And sin then separates us from God and it twists the way that we view and use money along with everything else. We were not made for greed We were made for generosity. When we give in to greed, which is a radical self-centered view of money, it goes in the opposite direction of God. And Proverbs says, not only is it just wrong, greed actually kills your soul. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 19 says, So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. Leave that verse on there for a moment because I believe it speaks two truths. One about money, but the other about sin. One, when it comes to money, if you approach money with greed, there's this, there's this twist. Greed thinks that, oh, if I just get more, I'm going to be okay. But the irony is if you live in greed, it will not lead to satisfaction. But there's a deeper truth there. It's a truth about all sin. Sin, anything, an attitude or action that goes against God and his design and desire for your life, it promises so much, but it will never deliver. In fact, it will only take. It's a lie. As it's been said, sin will always take you farther than you were ever willing to go, keep you than you were long, longer than you were ever willing to say, and cost you more than you were ever willing to pay. Sin is a lie. Greed is a sin, and it is a lie. When we go against our generous God, when we go against generosity, we choke ourselves and we hinder what God has created us for. You were made to give. So when you're you know, asked to give or you have opportunities to give, at first it may feel strange, as it did for me when I was a, a new Christian. 
Perhaps it even feels unnatural. I know for me, I had trained myself to think of all of my possessions only and exclusively in terms of my own life and my own personal life script. But it only felt unnatural because of my own fallen condition. But you come to scripture and you realize we were made for this. And when we give, we get to tangibly represent our giving God. Whether that happens in your personal life, your family, this church, and to our county. We were made to give because God gives. So before I get practical, and we will, you need to know this. You were made to give. Your giving reflects what you believe. Now, generosity can't just remain theory. It must become action, and that leads to the second truth. So truth number one, you were made to give. Truth number two, you were called to give. Generosity is, in the Bible is not only implied by your design, it is encouraged by instruction. Proverbs, again, clearly exhorts us in this matter. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. He's speaking of wealth. He's speaking of resources. If there's a need and you have the, the means and the opportunity, give. And to do so is wise. It's funny, we often don't think of, of generosity and wisdom as being connected, but according to the Bible, it is very wise to be generous. One of the marks of the wise person in Proverbs is generosity, a willingness to share what you have been given. It's also a mark of the righteous, those who are living according to God's design. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 26, all day long he, the lazy, craves for more, never satisfied, but the righteous give without sparing. We have a model here for us, for those who are wise, those who seek to live rightly, generosity will be a part of this. We actually see it all throughout the story of Scripture, a story of giving as God calls his people to give in order to be a blessing. Let me show you what this looked like in the Old Testament and then give you examples in the New Testament. Very helpful to understand this theme of generosity according to the Bible. When you look in the Old Testament, you will very quickly find that, that God ordered through his law and, and leaders, ordered the community to live in a certain way that would tell the bigger story about God. So when you read in the Old Testament about the specific instructions given to Israel, you could say that when it comes to money, generosity was actually built into the economy. It was built into the way that they functioned. So, for example, you have the priests and the temple, those who, who ordered the worship life of the community of Israel. How did they live? They were supported by what's called the tithe. The tithe simply means 10%. But then there was another 10% that the community of Israel set aside to support and pay for all the festivals and all of the events. And then there was another 3% that the men and women of Israel were to set aside to give to the poor and needy. Now this is beautiful because 
these men and women were living back in a day when there was no government support. There's no social security. Some of you are like, we get very little of that now, but that's another subject. But back then there was nothing. This brand new community formed and yet God builds in generosity into the economy so that these men and women would be a giving community and so they would not only provide for needs practically, but they would reflect the story of God. But Israel famously went back and forth on this. There were times they followed the law and instruction of God and they were generous with what they had, recognizing that everything they ultimately had came from God. And then there was other times where they said, no, no, God, I'm not going to be a steward. I'm going to be an owner of what I have. I'm going to live according to my own priorities. I'm going to spend my money however I wish, and you're not going to tell me what to do. And that kept them from being generous. And there are times that the leaders and even the prophets would call out Israel when they were walking away from God in this matter. One of the examples is found in God's word to Israel through the prophet Malachi. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, God says to his people, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough for you to store it. Beautiful words. See, on the one hand, there's a challenge there. The nation of Israel was not trusting in God. They were giving into greed. They were not trusting God with what they had, and that kept them from being generous. That kept them from, from generosity. God's calling them out on it. But then he also reminds them of his own character. He's like, look, guys, I'm not some cruel and vindictive God. It's not as if God looked down at the world and was like, oh, they're having too much fun. Tell them to give away their money. That'll hurt them. That's not a thing. That's not in the Bible. That's not the character of God. He says, look, you, you need to be tithing. You need to follow me in this. But like, test me. God says, test me in this and see if I will not open the floodgates and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough for you to store it. God says, test me in this. I want to bless you. My ways are the way of blessing, not cursing, is what God says to the nation of Israel and to us. Not that he would bless according to their greed, but that he would bless according to their need. Now that is a very important distinction. There is a teaching that we would often refer to as the prosperity gospel. It's a false teaching. It's a teaching you can hear around the world where people in the name of Jesus will call the audience to give so that they're finances will then automatically double or triple or quadruple or so on. Meaning that the point of the Christian life is for you to be financially prosperous. Indeed, the evidence that you are a follower of Jesus is that you're financially prosperous. The Bible doesn't teach this. We just need to remember Jesus was poor and homeless. But people will teach this. And so they'll say, you, you give that 100 and then God's going to put 200 in your bank. People are like, yes, why wouldn't I do this? Why wouldn't I do that? But listen, that is an appeal 
made to greed. It's appealing to a motive that's like, if I do this, I'm going to get more in my bank. Well, sure, where do I sign up? Well, there's ATMs in the lobby. I do find it ironic, by the way, that this week, as I was preparing for this sermon, somebody copied all my photos on my Instagram profile, created a fake Instagram with my name and an underscore before it, and has sent out thousands of messages to people asking them for money. And I'm like, this is so ironic. It's also terrible. If somebody sent you a message and it came in my name asking you for money, some of you got it this week. I've already heard it for a service. That's not me. Don't give them any money and report it. That'd be great. But isn't that funny that people often assume, oh, isn't that just Christianity? Like, hey, just like, you know, give me your money as if it's this selfish appeal made according to greed. But that's not what scripture teaches. God promises to bless you, not according to your greed, but according to your need. See, tithing, this whole principle was not just about the amount. It was about the heart. It was about what the people prioritized. And isn't that what it is about when it comes to our money. When we spend our money every month, we all make priorities. It's about what matters most. Something comes first, right? And it's often hard to be generous when our priorities are out of whack. I read this hilarious story. I found it hilarious. A farmer once told his pastor that his cow had unexpectedly given birth to two calves. So he went to his pastor and said, Reverend, my cow gave birth unexpectedly to two calves. I'm going to sell the two calves. And when I sell them, pastor, I will keep the proceeds of one calf, and then I will give the proceeds of the sale of the other calf to the church. But a few days later, apparently, which one of those calves uh, he chose, he left conveniently open-handed. For he came to the pastor once more and said, I'm sorry to say it, Reverend, but the Lord's calf died. (laughs) He waited to see which one was going to live before he decided which one he was going to be generous with. And how often it is, it's like, man, when it's tight, then you're like, "Eh, generosity doesn't sound so good. We're often going to wait to see how everything else pans out first. But all of Scripture highlights this idea of prioritizing generosity. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of all your crops. That is, we honor the Lord. We, We reflect Him with what we have. And specifically, the first fruits. It's, it's as I'm making my plans that there's this priority of generosity. Well, some of us say, well, okay, that's the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Great question. I'm glad you asked. In the New Testament, in the gospel accounts, when Jesus is, is asked about the tithe, Jesus affirms the concept or the idea of the tithe. But what Jesus did was he challenged the religious leaders of their day on their idea of tithing. He didn't correct them for giving. He challenged their motives. He said, you do this for show. You do this for applause. You do this for praise. Jesus is saying, tithing, in that context, is not some heroic deed, nor is it a legalistic activity. And in Jesus, the whole idea of generosity actually finds its fulfillment. 
because Jesus fulfills the whole story of Israel. So all these themes like generosity that we find in the Old Testament, they find their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. And so in the New Testament, we see this renewed vision of generosity. Jesus came to fulfill Israel's story. He is the true priest. He is the true temple. Jesus is the true sacrifice. And he creates a new community called the church that is built upon him and commissioned by him to do his work. So what does that mean for us today? Well, in the New Testament, there's nowhere that designates a certain percentage that you are to give. It doesn't. If you're looking for it, you won't find it. What the New Testament does teach is gospel-motivated generosity, where you set aside a portion of your income that you have decided to give in response to God's grace as a blessing. And practically, there's four areas in which we should be thinking about when it comes to generosity. We're to be generous with our family. We're to be generous to the work of ministry. We're to be generous with the needy and the poor, and we're to be generous with those outside the church. Let me give you a few quick examples. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. In speaking practically, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Notice the extent of that. There's those outside of the church and there are those inside of the church. Well, what about, you know, the, the church as a whole? Well, Paul also says that the church, the work of ministry, is supported by the generosity of its people. So he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. We invest together in the work of ministry. It's part of your involvement in the local church. And when we are generous, whether it's in our families or those outside the church or those in need or we're investing in the work of the ministry, it makes an enormous impact. I was reflecting on this even as it pertains to our family of churches. If you're new, uh, Reality has nine churches. My involvement goes back to the beginning of this little small church family when my wife and I felt called to plant a church in Los Angeles in 2004. Reality Carpinteria, just up the road, told us to move up there so that we could have prayer meetings every single week so that they could send us out to LA to plant this church. So. We moved up to Carpinteria and we're like, okay, we're praying every week. But also, out of the radical generosity of the people, the church plant was funded. So we went in and we planted the church in LA. And as a result, we got to see men and women coming to Jesus like crazy. And it was amazing. And then throughout those years, we also got to plant and support other churches. We've got the church in San Francisco and Stockton and Santa Barbara and in Boston and Honolulu. And then Almost 10 years after being in LA, my wife and I felt called of God slash got a crazy idea that we were to sell all that we have and then move to London, as many of you know. My family and I lived there and we planted Reality Church London. And again, we were prayed for. And many of you actually, with generosity, supported the work of that church. And to this day, even now, back in London, many people are coming to know Jesus. It's amazing to see what generosity can produce. 
When we invest in the church, we're investing in preaching and equipping and training and care and evangelism and developing and community and serving. When we're investing in our our family, we're blessing them and resourcing them for their lives. When we reach out to the poor and the needy, we're communicating God's heart for them. It makes an enormous impact. Friends, I'm inviting us, I'm reminding us to invest ourselves into the work of prayer, into the work of service, but also into the work of giving. So the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you also excel in this act of grace. He's speaking of financial generosity. So practically this means how you budget. In the same way that we budget our time, we also budget our money with priorities in mind. The Bible calls it stewardship. We are stewards, not owners of what we have. Stewards are those employed by by the leader, the master, the manager, the employer to manage their belongings rightly. And in the same way, that's the Christian view of everything that we have. Like my house is a matter of stewardship. Like the money that I have, matter of stewardship. The talents and resources I have, matter of stewardship. I'm not an owner, I'm a steward. All of us need to have that mindset when it comes to what we have. And as a result, God will give you a generous imagination. I know this is not easy. The practice of generosity is hard, especially when times are hard. Some of you are like, I know, but have you seen gas prices? I'm like, I know. But one simple word of encouragement. Maybe for some of you, this is kind of new or maybe it's hard. Let me just say this. The practice of generosity becomes harder the longer you put it off. It just does. You're like, no, no, no. Like uh, some of you are like college students. I'm a college student. Okay, give a dollar. I don't know. (laughs) Like it becomes harder the longer you put it off. I remember when my wife and I were first married, we had like nothing. Like just nothing, you know, just starting from scratch. And in those times when there's opportunities to be generous, you're kind of like, ow, (laughs) Is is what it felt like. But I'm thankful for other men and women who are like, hey, you know, Generosity is always going to come with a sacrifice. Not saying go into debt to do that. Of course not. Paul even talks about that. But it's still going to hurt a little bit. It's still going to hurt. But I'm glad that those men and women like invested in us in, in that way. Practically, it gets harder the longer you put it off. You were made to give. You are called to give. But the incredible thing is you will grow along the way. That's the third truth. You are blessed to give. You are blessed Things will happen in your life as you reflect God's generosity. As you are investing in lives, as you are investing in the spiritual health of the people around you, though you may not always see it, you are also investing in your own growth. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. I love this. One of my favorite verses in Proverbs. I've said that like 30 times, but whatever. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Isn't that wonderful? A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. Now, let's be clear. This is not a promise that you will always get more money. 
Some people teach it that way, but when you take into account all that the Bible says, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say, hey, be generous and your bank account's gonna increase by you know, triple fold. It doesn't promise that. But you will grow richer in all the ways that truly count. You will grow richer in all the ways that truly matter. You will be blessed as you are generous because it causes you to remember where it ultimately comes from. It causes you to remember what ultimately matters. Your own soul is refreshed because you have to remember where your ultimate security comes from. So the invitation to give is the invitation to deepen your relationship with God and the work that he is doing in the world. It is a discipline, but it's a discipline that helps you find deeper joy in God, in his work, and in his people. Because when you give, you're like, yeah, it's a little tight, but I still want to be generous. And I have to be reminded in that moment that everything I have comes from God. And as I see that person blessed, you're like, yes, this is good. This is right. And you're reminded of what is truly important. Didn't Jesus say it is more blessed to give than to receive? Notice he says you are blessed. It is more blessed. You are blessed when you give. It's more blessed to give than to receive because in doing so, you remember what is most important. The Apostle Paul, again, on this teaching, he says, you will be enriched in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 in every way. To be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. As practical generosity becomes a regular part of your life, you do not become poorer. You become richer in all the ways that matter most. You grow in your faith because you have to trust. You grow in your love because you're focused on other people and not just on yourselves. You're focused on eternity because you're not investing in temporal matters, but eternal matters. Christian giving, when thought about it in this way, according to Scripture, breaks the power that money so often has in our lives. And it loosens your grip on what can never save you and never sustain you. And it strengthens you on the God who can save you and who can sustain you. In fact, it is worth noting, a little Bible fun fact, that the only prayer found in the book of Proverbs is a prayer for contentment. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7 through 9 says, Lord, two things I ask of you. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. It's a prayer of contentment. God, I want to live in dependence upon you. And I want to do kingdom work. Christian generosity flows from transformation and it works for transformation. And that is why our money matters because it flows freely, as I said in the beginning, to what we love the most. Our giving is always connected to a goal. It's our longings that need to be changed. It's our if our giving needs to change, it's our longings that need to be changed. St. Exupery famously said, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up the men to gather the wood, divide the work, and give orders. Instead, teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. 
What is he saying? Appeal to the motive. Appeal to the heart. Appeal to the, to the longings. It's not just like saying, hey guys, get to work. It's like, don't you love the ocean? Don't you want to see this ship set sail? Well, let's go do the work. We are creatures of affections and God gets to our motives. When our loves are out of order, our giving will be out of order. But when our loves are in order, our giving will be in order. And that leads to the last point. You are moved to give. Generosity flows not from legalism or guilt or obligation. It flows from grace. Why does Proverbs 3 say to honor the Lord with our wealth? Because he is the source of our wealth, of all that we have. He himself, his character, is the primary motivation for generosity. It's not manipulation. It's not guilt that's meant to motivate our hearts. It's God himself. And the fullest display of his radical generosity is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God who came into our world and died on a cross for sinners like me and like you. Jesus gave on that day that you and I might gain. And when he did, he gave it all. Jesus disadvantaged himself for your advantage. He did not wait and give you the excess of his riches. He gave all of himself in order to save us. And when you experience his love, when you know what he has done for you, it changes you and you never get over it. I remember when we were living in London, I took my daughter to see a West End show known in America as a Broadway play. We saw Les Miserables which whether you've seen the film or seen the play, I'm sure you've heard the soundtrack for better or for worse. But the story is this. Jean Valjean is an outcast. He is a criminal. He's an offender and he cannot get a job. In fact, he has a mark on him saying this man cannot work. And so in his desperation, he ends up stealing silver from a bishop in the church. He steals silver from the bishop's house. But when the police arrive, the bishop does the unthinkable. The bishop not only frees Jean Valjean from the charges, but he also gives him the rest of the silver in his house as well. And Jean Valjean never gets over it. See, I just saved you four hours. That, that's the plot line. This man never gets over it. He never gets over it. He's moved by that. He's changed by that. His life is never the same. Church, friends, those of you who do not know Jesus, what has God given to us? We were outcasts. We were criminals. We were the ones walking around with the mark. And though we have stolen from the God who has given us the very breath that we breathe, instead of making us pay, he sends Jesus Christ. He forgives us. He pardons us. He frees us. He gives us eternal riches and glory and an everlasting relationship with him. He gives us kingdom purpose. He gives us the power of the Holy Spirit. And the prayer is that you and I never get over it. Amen. That is the good news of the gospel. This is what he's done for us. At no cost to you, but at infinite cost to himself. Jesus paid it all. Jesus spent it all. And so when Paul wants to motivate generosity, what does he do? He reminds them of Jesus. 
He says in 2 Corinthians 8, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Followers of Jesus are those who willingly adjust their budgets as well as the rest of their lives because they are passionate about the gospel, passionate about making disciples, passionate about seeing renewal in our our county, passionate about seeing renewal amongst the nations, passionate about seeing change in industries, passionate about equipping, and we'll pray and serve and give in order to see change. Not because we have to, but because we long to. Paul says, not as a command. No, he motivates you and I with something far more powerful, and that is the love of Jesus Christ. When you know that you can never lose what you have in Jesus, you can even begin to see giving as gain. He's given everything for you. And I hope and pray that we know that and that we never get over it. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, I do pray for us all in our different circumstances and situations. Lord, for some of us, might be in a season of, of great abundance. For others, might be a season of great difficulty. I pray for us all that we would find contentment knowing that whether I had all the money in the world or none of the money in the world, I have the most important thing in the world, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I thank you that because of the gospel, a way has been made for us to come to you. Lord, I pray for those for whom it is hard times right now. God, I thank you that you told us that we can pray for our daily bread that we can come to you today and say, God, it's hard and we have need. God, I pray that men and women would come to you and pray and bring their needs to you. God, I pray for those who are wrestling with contentment, feeling discontent with what they have right now. God, I pray that they would find contentment in Christ, that they would even pray for it today. God, if there's any greed in us, I pray that you would expose it and remove it by the power of the Holy Spirit as we confess it to you. And I pray that you'd produce radical generosity in us. And for those who do not yet know you this morning, God, I pray for anyone in this room or those watching online or sitting outside, if they have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ, I pray that they would not move by this moment too quickly, but right now, as your Holy Spirit is speaking, that they would just say, Jesus, I confess, I'm a sinner, and you came to save me, and I trust in what you've done for me. You came to live, die, and rise for me so that I could be with you forever. Pray for those men and women that right now they would put their faith and trust in Jesus and believe and be saved.
Holy Spirit, come. Do your work in us as we respond to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.